CG Media presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with engineer, author, and artist Warren Wilson Jr. for a conversation on the importance of STEM in the upcoming Black generation and an introduction to wealth building for kids. Up first is Corning Incorporated's manager of technical talent pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's senior technology editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Warren Wilson Jr. Wilson Jr. has taken his passion for math and the arts and has created Brown Money, an illustrated children's book that introduces kids to STEM, investing, real estate, job security, and entrepreneurship. With his hands-on approach, Wilson Jr. wrote and illustrated every image in the book to ensure that the correct images were captured to reflect the lessons. Wilson Jr. has performed readings at schools across Atlanta and Memphis. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thank you so much for that introduction, Brandon, and good afternoon once again, everyone. It's certainly a great opportunity that we have every time we come together for High Tech Sunday to spend some time getting to know leading STEMists uh, in the uh, communities of women of color, black engineer, and people, period, uh, who have been making a difference as they have been pursuing their STEM journeys. Interestingly enough, they aren't always necessarily people who are practicing STEM careers, but they are absolutely contributing to the community. And so it's really been cool having the opportunity to get to know so many people. And as I always say, every round seems to go higher. And that is the case today as we welcome Warren Wilson Jr. to the broadcast. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing great, Dr. Vaughn. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well and looking forward to the conversation today as we think about messaging for future STEM leaders. I heard in the introduction that we've got entrepreneur, we've got engineer, we've got artist. And so those particular pathways uh, present an interesting mix, I think, that we are really looking forward to delving into. So to kick things off, it's always pretty cool to have the opportunity to just have kind of an elevator speech moment where we get to know each of our guests a little better. And so if we happen to get on the elevator together uh, in the region of the world that I'm in, uh, in upstate New York at our research and development facility, you'd have maybe a minute or two to uh, ride up and tell us a little bit about yourself. So with that in mind, can you let us know a little bit about who Warren Wilson Jr. is? What's your background? My background is of um, in engineering. I got my bachelor's in electrical engineering. So after college, I basically have kind of bounced around from, you know, from industry to industry, basically. I started off in quality engineering, uh, working in automotive. You know, there I basically worked with the, most of the electronic car parts, you know, your the buttons on the dashboard, many of the components uh, in the cockpit of the car, things of that nature. Uh, left there, uh, worked at my, uh, in my hometown at a place called Barber International, where they make like cookware and stuff like that. So I got to basically work under an R&D engineer and get some direct experience with him. And then upon that, I ended up making that move to Memphis. Got that call for a job at Mitsubishi Electric. That's a power transformer plant uh, here in Memphis where uh, I worked as a quality engineer. So there I was over like the fiber optics, the wiring of the uh, transformers, the controls, uh, making sure that uh, all the signatures were you know, in check before we passed the transformer on from phase to phase you know, things of that nature. And I left that company and now I work for a company called Elos MedTech, uh, where we make surgical drills and um, incision tools. So uh, let's say you're getting a knee replaced and you need that, um, the, you know, the surgeon has to, you know, make an incision. We make basically those tools that they use to drill inside you or make, you know, make cuts or what have you to, you know, replace tendons or to repair bones or cartilage or things of that nature. So that's my engineering background. But on the side, I've written three books now, uh, working on the fourth book. 
I love to paint uh, on canvas when I get the free time. I love to design. I've designed clothes. You name it, man. I, I even started a um, startup electronic company in January. So I have like five products that I started out with, various array of chargers and, um, you know, power banks, things of that nature. But I just kind of, me being an electrical engineer, just always wanted to kind of put my print on, on that industry as well. So, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. But, you know, if whatever I can think of, I just about give it a try. So, Wow. That's a mouthful. When you think about some of what you just described, you are truly wearing that engineer, electrical engineering really well. And, and so uh, let's back up a little bit. Uh, so you, you told us how uh, at the college level you studied electrical engineering, got your uh, undergrad and then went on into the workforce and have multiple entrepreneur endeavors. But how did you land in engineering in the first place? So as you were growing up, uh, how is it that you got turned on to STEM and, and electrical engineering in particular? So, you know, I was basically just that curious kid, man. I was um, always taking things apart, um, get a new toy, play with it for a week, and I'm, then I get curious as far as, you know, why does it light up when I push that button? Or, you know, when I hit a button, how does the TV know to change screens? Or, you know, why does the refrigerator stay cold? Why does the microwave get hot? So I guess that curiosity, you know, I was just, super curious I was asking my mom a million questions and you know when I would ask her like okay well you know for me to be able to take things apart or create things or design things or you know make electronics like what 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 can I do and she's like well as far as I know engineers that's what engineers do they design things they they make things they they kind of find out how things work and you know they just they're very you know kind of mechanically inclined you know and they're able to um, you know, create things, you know, take things from an idea to something that you can actually touch. And so, you know, that, that kind of, you know, led me to engineers for the most part as far as that. But at the same time, uh, my creative side, you know, me growing up liking to do art and liking to design things, you know, that's kind of bled over into it because I just have this, um, I don't know, I just have this passion for basically taking an idea and then, you know, putting it on paper, coming out with a plan, finding the right pieces, getting the team together and then, you know, making it come to life. You know, that's just, that just brings a smile to my face every time to think that something can go from up here to on paper. And then next thing you know, you're holding it in your hand. So um, I don't know. It's just always been amazing. And then, you know, when I hear about guys like um, uh, Michelangelo from back in the day and, you know, he was an engineer, artist, um, musician, just multiple talents, multiple things. So, um, when I hear about, you know, guys like that growing up, it's like, oh, okay, so I don't have to do one thing. You know, I don't have to be good at one thing. I can try, I can try many things that I want, you know, and still be kind of good at them. And I don't know, I guess at an early age, they gave me that permission to just kind of explore, you know, to explore multiple lanes, you know. And I'm kind of one of those guys where um, if I meet somebody and you have a talent that I like, uh, eventually I'm going to adapt it from you. I'm going to absorb that from you. You know, I'm kind of a sponge if it's something that's really catching my eye. I don't know. That's just, it's just kind of how I am. You know, I picked up painting from my mom. She used to paint and, and draw. And then my, uh, my dad is always was working on cars, fixing on things around the house. So he was very mechanically inclined. I, I kind of always saw him try to fix things himself. Never wanted to take it to somebody, you know, he was the one to take it apart at the house. So, you know, having, both sides at, at home just kind of built that confidence at an early age to just be creative. But at the same time, I had a respect for being mechanically inclined because I saw a benefit in, you know, both, you know, and they both just kind of, I can't pick one, I guess, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. You know? I think, like you said, you, you asked yourself the question as you were uh, getting in touch with that Renaissance man kind of mode, uh, looking at folks like Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, same kind of situation in terms of he was not just an artist, he uh, was a scientist as well. But you asked the question, oh, I don't have to just pick one. And so that mindset seems to have uh, been something that you became comfortable with even in your youth. And it's really cool that you've got, it's 
sounds like you've got some cool parents because a lot of times when I'm speaking to engineers about being tinkerers, it's like they didn't actually ask their parents about why something works the way it works until they had taken it apart. Um, and then, and then you know, mom, mama was usually like, if you don't put this back together. Uh, so, so it sounds like, you know, you had, you had uh, uh, support there. One of the things that we have found to be really interesting on High Tech Sunday, and I really appreciate, is there is this informing that people uh, commonly have shared that is based upon their spiritual experiences, their spirituality. We know that spirituality can take on a lot of different forms, a lot of different levels for folks, but we have found that invariably there has been this spiritual component that informed and, and kind of upheld, undergirded folks as they were going through their journeys. Uh, has that been the case for you? Has there been a role that spirituality has played for you as a child and even on up to now? I would say yes, because me believing basically that there is a higher power, I know that basically whatever thoughts I have or whatever things that I see as a possibility, that's what my human brain can comprehend. The little bit of knowledge that I have, you know, it's kind of like just, it keeps me going because I know that, oh, okay, it always seems like whatever idea I have, no matter how big I think it is, there's always something way bigger. And there's always, you know, a bigger purpose attached to it. It just plays a big role, you know? It's just knowing that things are, I can always just try things and, you know, it, I'm not gonna say it's gonna work out, but basically, you know, there's a, there's a higher power that basically has that decision. So it's almost like when I try it, if it doesn't work, okay, it just wasn't meant to be. And if it does work, then okay, let me keep going. Let me dig deeper. You know, clearly I'm on to something. So, and and also just growing up in the church, you know, I would always kind of see the the power of the tongue, you know, uh, the way that the the pastor would kind of uh, speak to the, the the members of the church and have them all on one accord and, be able to influence and be able to, you know, spread a message and see it have that spark in people. And so, you know, kind of now, the more I kind of build my platform, the more knowledge I get and the more I'm, I'm learning to speak with different people and younger people and learn how to network with people from different communities and stuff like that. I just really see the power in the tongue, like coming to fruition. I see the, I see the power of basically, you know, using your voice. It's so much power in that, you know, even even now I can get on YouTube and I can watch a 10 minute video from somebody I've never met. And the power of the words they speak could inspire me to make some type of move that I've been holding back for two years. So I would say, you know, spirituality definitely plays a, a, a big part in that. You know, it just kind of keeps me going. And it's interesting to hear you speak about the power of the tongue, because you were introduced as, among other things, an author, uh, and you shared that you have written three books, you're on your fourth book now, and so clearly uh, the power of words is something that you have embraced and harnessed as you are sharing your message, and and so in, in a way, it's almost like you are pastoral in that sense. You talked about how the pastor would get the word out to the congregation, and you're using uh, your words, your message to get the word out to the STEM church, if you will. Uh, and so uh, so think about this. So we're understanding that you have a message for future STEM leaders. And, and so I want to probe that a little bit, but uh, you, you had shared that currently in your, your vocation, uh, you're actually an engineer for a surgical equipment company. Uh, and as you were, you were talking about the tools that you might need for hip replacement or bone repair or tendons, I was getting a little creeped out there, but um, uh, uh, it, it is sometimes lost on, on folks, the really various sectors of endeavor that engineers touch. And, and so with that understanding as the backdrop. So you've had work uh, on optical systems, controls, now surgical, all with that one electrical engineering background. Can you talk to us about what the importance of a STEM education is, especially in the Black community? Definitely. 
So to me, the importance of a STEM background or education is basically with all that math and science and physics, it just gives you this versatility, you know, because just about every industry, every sector uses math, science, calculus, some types of physics or something like that. And what that does is, you know, with an engineering background or with an engineering degree, that allows you to be very versatile and be a chameleon because I can use those same principles for, you know, the scientific method or, you know, how to do investigations or how to break something down or problem solving or, you know, doing a root cause analysis. Those types of things in engineering allows you, you can take those skills just about everywhere, you know, and that's why I think that is so important because just look around, you know, everything is getting automated. Things are slowly becoming personless. Uh, everything is just about using some type of wireless connection or it's being ran by electricity. So the importance of STEM is very great because I just see the next generation, you know, that's, that's all they're going to know. Like right now we're on a Zoom call. Uh, we're, we're in like, you know, two or three different states, but we're, we're all having a phone call right now. You know, that was unheard of 10 years ago. So I just think that that's the route of things is going, you know, look at, look at Tesla, look at Apple, you know, look at, look at what all these companies have done and they're all, they all stand on the, the foundation of STEM. So I kind of preach that to the youth as far as, uh, you know, the black youth, because I feel like that is the, that is the next booming industry. We're seeing, you know, all this high tech stuff coming out every year. We got some new type of technology company that's coming out and five years ago we didn't even think it was possible and you know i just see the job market starting to transform you know even working in retail i hate to say it but some retail positions with the way that we're automating everything they may not exist 10 or 15 years from now um a lot of these jobs that are physical or manual may not exist so i kind of i kind of push kids towards stem you know, uh, science is always going to be needed. Doctors always going to be needed. Engineers always going to be needed. Math always going to be needed. We can't get away from it. You know, so I kind of push kids towards that. If you're going to pick the traditional school route, I'm a huge advocate for STEM because I feel like the job market is going to be top heavy with STEM jobs in the next 10 to 15 years. And I really feel like if not to say that if you're not in the STEM background that you won't have luck finding a job, but at the same time, I think it's going to be just a little bit harder in 10 to 15 years without you knowing some type of programming, without you knowing some type of virtual reality or how to use a phone or, you know, like years ago when Windows would go from Windows 98 to Windows 2000, you would say, oh, yeah, I can skip that. I'll just wait to the I'll wait five years till Windows comes out. But now it's to the point where if you stay behind on technology, you will get blown past. And then next thing you know, the skills that were, you know, beneficial yesterday might not be beneficial tomorrow because technology is moving so fast, so fast. I, I can really believe by this time next year we'll be on hologram uh, on Zoom call. So, um, you know, I'm just kind of big advocate for pushing, pushing kids into STEM because I just believe that's the future. And I want us to honestly dominate that sector. And so you know that if they if they go to 3D on Zoom, uh, uh, we already have challenges with folks turning on their video cameras. It ain't happening if it's 3D. Folks will be like, no, I've got to go. I got to go get my hair cut, and I've got to make sure that I've got <laughs> got my mani pedi and everything else. But uh, no, seriously, you said something really powerful. Uh, you said that what we're doing that is commonplace today, uh, jumping on a Zoom. I'm I'm presently on vacation in North Carolina. I don't know if, if Ray and uh, the rest of the team on the CCG side are, are in Maryland, don't know where you are, but like you said, we've been on Zooms, uh, many of us, uh, with people not only from across this country, but from around the world. Uh, and you said that it was unheard of a decade ago. I would say to you that even though the technology was certainly out there, the vast majority of folks had not actually become accustomed to it until we were thrust into staying at home, lockdown, work from home, 
13, 14 months ago. And so it was like the, the uh, global crisis created um, a, a global embracing, whether you like it or not, you had to go virtual. And it is definitely the case that even as we get back to better, this isn't going to go away. Companies have learned that you can save money instead of sending somebody over to Japan for that meeting jump on a Zoom, jump on a, a, a WebEx, for example, and you can still get the work done. Uh, and then I have a seven-year-old granddaughter. She's on Zoom for school part of the day. And so while she doesn't necessarily understand the technology behind it, it's going to be commonplace for her as she is growing through the rest of her education as a K-12 and then on to college. Who knows um, what kind of telepresence there will be? And so I think that you really uh, have hit the nail, the, the nail on the head. You talked about artificial intelligence. You talked about automation. You talked about coding. I mean, it's huge. And so let, let's think about you and how all of that interplay has happened. So you got the engineering, so you got the STEM down, but you're also an artist. You're also a creative person. Uh, so, so talk a little bit about that intersection of the arts and the sciences, if you will, the arts and STEM. And the, I guess the way that they complement each other. So I kind of give, I go a little bit deeper into my background. So in elementary school, way back, fourth, fifth grade, I got, I got accepted into this performing arts school. So at that performing arts school, the school was called Power APAC, basically academic performing arts curriculum. So there we took like music, uh, we took theater classes, we took art classes, we even had to take a little dance classes, you know, but it just exposed us to the arts and, you know, to the things that were being done around the globe that we didn't see, you know, in my, and I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, small town, but we didn't get to see those things. You know, most kids aren't learning music at the age of 10. Uh, most of us aren't painting on the canvas at, at that young age or learning about these old artists and things like that. So being exposed to the arts back then just really kind of kicked things up for me and uh, just got me introduced to a lot of different styles, a lot of different variety. And with that, you know, kind of let me, being exposed to a lot at that, at that moment kind of helped me to, I guess, increase my interest and expand on that and to like expand my own style. But growing up, man, I was just very into drawing and, you know, doing art. I used to like design clothes, you know, I would paint images on clothes or I would, you know, design shoes. And I also, in high school, I took like a graphic design uh, course during high school. So there I learned you know, as far as how to do stationery, making logos, making um, packaging for products, you know, doing stuff like that. So that kind of, you know, helped out as well. And what I would say is that um, with engineering, they kind of go hand in hand, where with engineering, you know, you're always following the principles or the standards, or you're following some type of spec, or you're following uh, whatever the laws of physics says or whatever like that. So, and that's cool. I'm a very technical guy. I, I love rules. I love way stuff stays in bounds. I, I love the fact that two plus two is always four. But when it comes to art, there are no rules. There are no barriers. Um, and that kind of, you know, that, that interests me because, you know, at, after eight hours of being technical and have to always be right, it's, it's so, re it's relaxing to do art. Whereas, um, I don't have to be right. You know, when I, when I paint an orange, hey, I can make the orange shape like a triangle if I want to. There's no rules. I don't have to follow any rules anymore. And at the same time, it's like, I don't know, it could become a style. It could become a style that becomes so respected. You know, even look at Picasso. A lot of his paintings look so unorthodox, but that's really a older version of just uh, cubism that, you know, that Africans were using hundreds of years before. And even, it's even math involved in that. Because a lot of the things that, that catch our eye are, you know, things that are kind of aesthetically pleasing, things that are usually proportionate, things that are usually even-sided or things that have familiar shapes or things like that. So with art, with art and engineering, um, the way I'm kind of able to blend those together is basically, let's say uh, with my electronic products, um, I basically designed the, the logo that I use and uh, designed all the packaging and things like that. And, what that does is my creative side allows me to take care of the technical, but then when it comes to the creative side, the um, you know the 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 packaging and the the logos and what colors go together, what's going to look aesthetically pleasing, 
you know, I'm able to basically use one side of the brain when I'm trying to do one half of the project. And then when it comes to the other half of the project, usually when you would outsource or you would kind of get somebody else involved, most of the times I'm able to kind of have an opinion on that as well. So I think that's how I kind of blend them both together as well, you know, if you will, you know, with the engineering is kind of just the technical and then the fact that, you know, art kind of has less rules, but at the same time, um, it's still a creative process, you know? It's still just art and engineering are very similar, whereas you take that idea and then you have to transfer it onto some type of medium, which is either going to either be paper or, you know, some type of spreadsheet in engineering or some type of document where you're getting your ideas together and organized. And then once you have those ideas organized, you make them come to life. So if that's a painting, me getting my ideas organized may be doing a sketch. You know, I might go from an idea to a sketch and then from that sketch, it turns into an actual painting. And it's just like engineering. I go from an idea, I write down uh, what it'll take to make this idea happen. I write down a plan, I write down a process, maybe use a spreadsheet. And then, you know, I put all those ingredients together and then next thing you know, I'm holding whatever product that I was, that, that I was designing or whatnot. So I guess that's kind of the, the best way I can kind of explain as far as how they you know, merge or communicate with each other mm -hmm. for me. But um, I don't know. I just kind of, I, I love diving into both sides, though. And actually, I was going to ask you if you were on a, a debate stage and you had to make the case for adding the A to STEM and, and making it STEAM, uh, which is actually a debate that happens in the STEM world even today. Uh, so it sounds like you've made that case in that one can inform the other. And, and I, being a STEMist myself, so my background is in physics and engineering as well. And I remembered uh, when I was younger and was into instrumental music and, and as I was loving just making music and then realizing the timing that goes into music, realizing that those notes that I was producing had a frequency that could be actually understood by physics. Um, I used to be a runner, believe it or not, Ray Kennedy, and um, <laughs> you could identify, you know, the physics behind how much energy was going to be needed to run up a hill uh, as I was doing cross country and then doing the quick calculation, realizing it is not going to work out for me this time. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, but really, the, the interplay play is even if you are someone who is like, nope, mm -mm, STEM, S-T-E-M, that's all there is, A is always there. It, it really is. And so I think that uh, that's a debate that is going to soon be ending because folks will just have to acknowledge. But let's talk about something again. Your experience, uh, you had the opportunity to go to the APAC um, program. And I mean, you said from the arts to, to, you know, performing arts, the dance, that's something that we'll have to see if we can find on YouTube um, uh, to see you demonstrating. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that not everyone, you so you took that and went on to a four-year school, not everyone um, is actually either able to or interested in going to a four-year school these days. Does that mean that they can't be successful in STEM? No, no, that's, that's not that's not the case. What are the alternatives, would you say? I would say the alternatives would be um, trade schools or um, just getting very good at business because you don't need a business degree to get good at business. You can just study the greats. You can read a lot of books. Um, you can get very knowledgeable in the tax area. Uh, as far as how business taxes go, uh, tax benefits, things like that. Or you can even, you can work and save your money and, you know, dive into real estate or, uh, you know, play in the stock market. So it's, it's multiple ways to find success outside of a four-year university. Even now, I believe Google is coming out with courses so that you can get like certifications to work exclusively with them. And I think what that's going to do is cut out I hate to say it, but that's going to cut out a lot of the pool of people that these colleges usually will pick from. That's going to knock a lot of them out right there because at that point, you're able to um, bypass a four-year traditional university, room and board, traveling, buying all these books, several grand in books every year and things like that. And, you know, it's to the point where now with, if you got a Wi-Fi connection, man, you can just about learn anything you want to learn. You know, it's going to be to the point where 
YouTube is going to be the new university, I think, eventually, because, man, I've learned a number of things from YouTube that I never even heard of in college. So I think just kind of having that, that gopher mentality, that kind of, all right, what is it that I want to do? All right, what, what is it that I don't know? Because that's something you always got to ask yourself. What, what are the things that I don't know? If you can find out the things that you don't know as fast as you can, you can either find people to do those things that you don't know, or you can get, start getting better at the things that you don't know. But I think that, man, you know, moving, moving forward, it's going to be real tough for colleges to kind of keep a hand on these, on these students, you know, just like with the NBA. You know, you got all these colleges that usually use these NBA, I mean, these potential NBA players. And, you know, they, these guys go to college for free. They go on, the, on the, a scholarship that's, you know, kind of, not a fair payoff. And now you got the NBA having development leagues. You got kids going across seas, you know, 17, 18 years old, bypassing the four-year traditional university. Uh, and, you know, getting right to the big bucks, getting right to being where they want to be, you know. And if you're able to find out how to fast forward your career, by all means, do it. You know, I don't believe you have to go get $40,000 in debt to have a future. You know, we're, I think we're starting to move away from that. that that era, I think it's, it's starting to go away. You know, it's, it's getting to the point where a little bit of YouTube and, um, you know, if you have a gopher mentality, man, you could go learn a skill on YouTube and com commit two days a week. And next thing you know, you got a lucrative thing going on. You know, I mean, even if you just choose, if you just say you want to cut grass, hey, learn how to cut grass, build a team. Next thing you know, you got a company. Next thing you know, you got several lots, several contracts. And I don't know, you just kind of have to have that 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 go-getter mentality and if you have it you don't need school you know and and i went to school so i'm not trying to uh, i'm not down in traditional um university education at all but at the same time i just have a lot of buddies that have found success outside of school so um i don't know i think we're walking into a new era and so i think that two things come to mind. Uh, first, you know, that was a, a very provocative position statement, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, there, there will probably be a future segment on High Tech Sunday uh, where we drill down on that topic a little bit more, because it is the case, like you said, uh, you got that, that formal training, but uh, you also have this entrepreneurial mindset, and I think that what you're saying is that there's a place for both, and it'll be an interesting conversation to have. But there are ways for you to identify the path that will lead to your success. So I'm gonna wrap up with just one last question for now, and then I'm gonna hand it off to uh, Lango Dean. You mentioned in the briefing meeting that you would like to have been the you that you needed growing up. So can you, can you say what that means and, and how that applies to how you're approaching the mission that you're on as you engage youth and mentor them? So when I, when I speak on that, that basically just means being that, that example uh, that I could have used. So uh, at a younger age, you know, if I've met a young black guy that was an engineer, I probably would have wanted to be an engineer sooner. You know, if, if I thought that doing certain things would, um, was cool because I saw an example of it. I, you know, I probably did it sooner because I think a lot of times we kind of wait on permission through seeing an example. You know, it's kind of like, oh man, well, I, I've never seen anybody do it that way. So man, I'm not gonna do it that way. So, you know, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna look weird or, you know, I, I wanna make sure I still fit in and I fit the, the, the you know, the social norm. But I'm just kind of out to be the guy that you do see doing those things. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of kids that basically, you know, to the majority, they might get labeled as nerds. And I want them to know that, Hey, dude, it's cool being a nerd. Uh, yes. you know, we're, we're the ones who are always learning. We're always like, we, we win in the end, you know? And that's what I, cause I, I was that kid, you know, I was that kid who was like, just, I kind of had my own style people. Oh man, that's weird. And you know, I, at times it would be like, oh man, well, and it would kind of deter me from doing certain things because, oh man, what if I do this this way and I won't look cool? I don't want kids to think like that. I tell my my younger brothers all the time, like, don't do, you don't have to do what the crowd is doing to fit in, you know? So I'm just kind of out to be, I guess, the cool nerd, you know? If we saw a cooler version of Urkel, 
I want to be that guy so that kids can, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just kind of wake up to the idea of being a nerd, being in the tech, being technical, being very curious about, you know, how things work and, you know, just wanting to, wanting to know more than just at the surface level. So when I say as far as trying to be the person I, that I, you know, could have used when I was younger, you know, that's that, you know, it's kind of just injecting that confidence into a lot of our, our young black youth. Because a lot of times I think we wait for a music video or we wait for a famous celebrity to tell us that something is cool. And I want them to know that, hey, the stuff that you think is cool to you, it is cool. Stop waiting on somebody to confirm that it's cool or that it's the right thing to do. Just do it, you know, follow, follow your heart, do like be passionate about it. And I want to be that example of when, when kids see me and they say, oh man, well, man, he doesn't ever look like he's worried about what somebody's gonna say because I wasn't that kid growing up. So now that I've gained that confidence, I want to send it back down the line and, you know, just kind of, I don't know, just give kids that strength to, you know, reach past looking for permission from the majority to do something that they think is cool, you know? Whether you're going to get called weird, whether you won't fit in, whether you're one person out of a hundred that's doing it that way, that's okay. And, I think that what you've kind of reiterated and confirmed, and, and Lango Dean uh, will certainly remember this, we had a guest um, several weeks, if not months ago, uh, who talked about embracing your unicorn. And it seems like that's the same message. Uh, the, the, the thing about you that others may think is different is actually the thing that makes you unique, and that's what we need. And so I think that that was a very great uh, way for us to wrap up this segment. As we look at career and pipeline, uh, I'm happy to turn things over to Lango Dean, who is going to take us further in the conversation. Hey, Lango, how's it going? You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, engineer, author, and artist, Warren Wilson Jr. The deadline for 2021 Women of Color STEM Conference nominations is quickly approaching. Stay tuned for a message from our sponsor. It's time to nominate your heroes. Get your nominations in for the Women of Color STEM Conference. The Women of Color STEM Conference is an annual conference focused on empowering women of color in the STEM field. The 26th annual conference will be held on October 7th through the 9th, 2021. Please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process. All peer-reviewed nominations are due on April 30th, 2021. All Outstanding Achievement Award nominations are due on May 15th, 2021. Again, please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more details on our nomination process. Again, the window for nominations is closing. So please visit www.ccgheroes.com for more information. Now, back to the show. Well, welcome to the show, Mr. Wilson. It's great to have you on the show today. I, uh, I read your book, Brown Money, yesterday. Really interesting book. And um, I was wondering if you know a real young boy called Jay uh, and his dad. And, and why you decided to write a children's book. So I don't know a real kid named Jay and his dad, but it's gonna sound weird, but in a sense, I am the son and the father in that book, basically. So Jay is the kid version of me, and the dad is basically kind of me now, because the dad basically passes on, you know, a, a interest in STEM, and he's an engineer, but at the same time, he's very entrepreneurial, and, you know, he's into investing, and. You know, he's just into believing in abundance and believing that you have multiple options and there's multiple ways to find success. So in a sense, I'm kind of both characters, 
the character Jay is basically, uh, as I was just speaking with Dr. Vaughn, as far as me giving back to, or me kind of being the person that I could have used when I was younger, in that book, I'm doing just that. So I'm, I'm basically am Jay in that book. I don't know. I just kind of wanted to, um, you know, be able to give an example of that because I know there are going to be a lot of black youth, black boys and girls that are going to read that book and just hopefully be inspired by it. That's wonderful. So, so talk to us a little more about the process of you writing this book, because you talked about being both characters, being both Jay on the one hand, a kid having all these questions, and then being the father who's had all these experiences and having to pass on tips and, and how-tos and knowledge in a way that Jay is going to understand. So what was the process like for you? What I first did was basically I wrote a list of the things that um, I had kind of been picking up over the years. I kind of wrote down things that I picked up, uh, you know, during college, things that I've learned over the years. And during the time that I wrote that book, about a year prior to that, I had like began to be very uh, heavy into learning about the stock market, learning about how to do real estate deals, buying houses, you know, understanding tax breaks, tax cuts, things like that. So what I did was basically write a list of all those things. And I already had the story kind of in mind. I knew I wanted to do a story between a father and son, but I just had to find a way to inject those topics into an easy to, you know, digest format, you know, basically for kids to understand. So, and you know, that's basically what it, what it was, you know, everything that I put in the book was things that, you know, just like I kind of spoke on earlier were things that I wish I would have known about uh, growing up, that you have multiple uh, options in life, uh, that the world is at your fingertips, that you have, you know, many options, that you, that you can explore STEM, that you can invest, that you can be an entrepreneur, that you don't have to go the traditional route. You know, a lot of these things weren't kind of, weren't taught to us or taught to me uh, growing up. I was mostly told, you know, all right, uh, you either get out of high school and you go work or you go to college. And then after that, you still work. And <laughs> that's pretty much all we learned, you know? So in the book, I basically wanted to put a bits and pieces of, you know, different ideals, you know? Me being uh, a college graduate, I did want to express interest and kind of influence people into STEM. But at the same time, I didn't want to push the reader into one box uh, because I don't like the feeling of being in one box as if, you know, I have to do everything one way or I have to go one route. So I want to make sure I put that in the book. And that's why I put like a variety of things in the book because overall, I want the kids to see that there are many ways that you can go about um, making success for yourself. You know, you don't have to go the traditional college route. You can go the entrepreneurial route or you can go the trade route or you can, uh, you can go, you know, the investment route. You know, there are multiple lanes. There are multiple um, ways that you can find success. So I guess that was kind of just my process, you know, just starting from a list of topics that were very uh, important to me at that time. And then at the same time, you know, putting a story together that would be, you know, pretty flow pretty well and that would be pretty interesting. And then, you know, once I had my topics and I got the dialogue together, I'll say the hardest part was me, you know, doing all the artwork. You know, it took me a few weeks to do. I painted every image in the book on canvas. So I would say that took the longest because I feel like that book was living inside of me. I just hadn't put it on paper yet. So um, I don't know. I guess once the, once the pen hit the paper, it just basically it came all out, you know, everything that had been heavy on me or everything that I had kind of been learning and getting very passionate about at that time in my life. I just made sure I put it on paper because I just know that just about everything that I put in that book, I feel like it's going to be relevant to the kids 15, 20 years from now. You know, it's just far as, you know, the way the job market is going to be and the way uh, financial success is going to be found. And it's not going to be just one way. It's not going to be just traditionally college. It could be entrepreneurial, it could be investing, it could be you having a trade, having a company. Um, success could find you down many paths. So, you know, I just basically wanted to wrap all that into the book, um, you know, and give them, not only tell them about certain things, but kind of just give a glimpse on, I guess, kind of how and what ways you could. Because a lot of times uh, people give us advice, but it's, it's so surface level that we can't really make a plan from it. So when I put those things in the book, my, my, my hopes was to basically, you know, expose you to new things you may not know about 
and hopefully kind of give you a, a small blueprint, you know, uh, as a kid, if you're reading that book. That's wonderful. You know, um, a young friend of mine uh, read the book along with me and he came back and he said, and when I asked him, I said, you know, pick up some tips and, and tell me. So I thought he was going to come back with like four or five and he came back with 10. So I thought, wow. So I went back and I looked and I said, yeah, for sure. You know, you, you do find a lot of tips in this book. And like you said, you, you know, they spoke out loud in the book and, and people are hearing them. So I don't want you to give us any spoilers because we want people to buy the book, but what lessons would you say young people learn when they pick up this book? I would say, well, most adults are pretty kind of open to, open to the fact that you have multiple options, but a lot of people pick up the book and they learn actually about kind of real estate and stocks. Uh, I only had like, you know, a few pages kind of pertaining to it, but you know, even in the book where to explain the stock market, I used a pizza and a slice of pizza being taken out of the main pizza, whereas the slice of pizza was the stock and the rest of the pizza was a company. I mean, I have grown people now who, who've read the book and they come back to me and they say, you know what, man, you know, don't laugh, but I, I didn't really understand what a stock was before I read the book and I saw it in a colorful you know, image or whatnot. A lot of us have 401ks and we don't even understand what's going on in the stock market, let alone understand how a stock works. You know, that's just kind of the reasons why, um, that's a huge reason why I put that in the book. You know, it, it, it's a children's book, but at the same time, I think adults are learning things as well when they read that book uh, or getting tips or just kind of, you know, picking up things from the book. That, and I hate to say it, but the wake up call of having the multiple incomes, I think that has been pointed out to me a lot in the book because a lot of people say, yeah, man, you know, having multiple incomes is kind of important. You know, I have been, I, I have, I do have a side hustle idea I've been thinking of and, you know, that kind of, sometimes they, they may, they may inspire them to go ahead and try that side hustle out. That side hustle might replace your main job one day, uh, you know, and I'm just kind of big on, on, on that is especially because I experienced the layoff, you know, like a year ago. So I know the benefits of having multiple lanes of income. And I know the feeling of only having one, especially when that plug is pulled. So I'm kind of big on that because I just remember the, the feelings and the depression that come with came with being laid off and let go from your main source of income. And uh, you can feel like your back's against the wall, but your back doesn't feel against the wall if you have multiple streams you know, finances coming to you. So it's kind of like, okay, that, that, that one river runs dry. Okay. Let me pull water from the other one. And, you know, I've kind of adopted that mind state from here on out, especially after dealing with that layoff. But, um, and I just kind of want, I want people to be the same way. I want us to always be prepared to be, um, you know, just kind of ready for anything because you, I mean, you just never know what can happen, you know, the same way um, you could have a company go bankrupt, you can have a product, end up hitting a lawsuit. You could go to a job and get fired. You can have a layoff. Life happens. So to me, you should have multiple ways that your money is coming in just in case one runs dry or just, just in case somebody pulls the rug on, on one of them, you know, you're still okay. So um, I'm just very big on that because, uh, you know, that layoff in my life came huge shock, huge surprise. And it just kind of had to dust myself off, you know, look for jobs. But I just kind of told myself, like, hey, I'm going to get a little more serious with this entrepreneurship. I'm going to make sure I kind of got plan B's ready, you know, plan C, D, E, and F, uh, if possible. You know what I'm saying? So I was, I would definitely say I've gotten a lot of credit from those two things in particular from the book, you know, as far as the stock market. And then definitely with the multiple incomes, because um, they kind of hit a weak spot, especially when you kind of talk to people and they're like, hey, yeah, I, I got a 401k and I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how a stock works. And, you know, these are things that we need to start learning, you know. That's great, because that's one of the things that Jay's dad told him right at the beginning, have a plan B for your life. And, and here you are today. And, and it's really important because this is financial literacy month. So your message I think is really critical uh, during this month and, and, you know, for the rest of the year and going forward, that it's, it's important to have a plan B for your life. It's important to always have multi multiple income stream if you can, 
and it's just digging deep and, and finding all those things. The illustrations in your book were well, I also found quite interesting, as well as the title. So I think for me, the two illustrations that I loved the best were the one with the pizza, because normally people use the pie, but you you decided to use a pizza. So I, I found that really interesting. And also the second illustration, the second drawing that I found interesting was the one where the man is biting into an apple that is really the earth. And that for me, um, I responded to it, not just by the site, but also because it made me imagine some, an art that I think is about 6,000 years old. So that emotion, the mysticism, the, the religious part of it, it was just an experience. So why brown money and, and why that particular artwork in the front of your book? So I named the book Brown Money. You know, it's basically a, a play on words. Um, brown, brown, brown people, colored people, us, you know, us as African-Americans. And, um, you know, it's just kind of play on words, you know, and basically what I wanted to do was, you know, put multiple different ideals of ways to make money for us as brown people to make money or us as brown people to start thinking of money or to view money. And, you know, I know it starts, it starts with the youth. So, you know, that was the whole play on, you know, naming it Brown Money, because I was mostly speaking to us. You know, that book can be for anybody, of course. You know, I, I don't discriminate against any race. But at the same time, a lot of those things that I put in the book, us in the black and brown community, we don't learn those things. We don't learn about stocks. We don't learn about real estate. We don't learn about STEM. So um, that was the play on Brown Money. I won't. I want the idea of brown money to expand, meaning I want basically the wealth gap or the wealth, you know, acquiring of black and brown people. I want it to grow. You know, I wanted to I wanted to expand. I wanted to increase. And, you know, I named it brown money so that it would catch kind of just, you know, just a play on words, you know, uh, because in our communities, we aren't really we aren't enlightened on those things. Uh, we may know about the latest social media app or we may have a favorite celebrity but a lot of times we don't really talk about finances or how to talk about getting ahead in life or investing or you know just having some types of you know some type of savviness when it comes to finances uh in the brown community so i that was the whole thing on you know calling it brown money it was just kind of a play on words to catch your attention but then once it catches your attention and you flip that page you know i'm hoping that the artwork keeps you you know you know, just kind of interested is why you're why you're absorbing that message. And so, with the cover, um, I painted that image about six months six months before I even wrote the book. I had an idea of like, okay, and you know, I was at a point where before I wrote the book, I did like a hundred paintings in like a year. I just went paint crazy. I was painting probably a painting every two days. Uh, so, and that was just one idea that I had when I did that painting. I was like, okay. Let me think of a powerful painting. Let me think of something that we don't get to see every day. And that was the black man holding the globe. Uh, the black man basically being bigger than the world, being powerful, holding the world in his hands, having the world at his fingertips, having just a little bit more control than we than we usually are are, are shown to have. So that was that's what that 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 image is is all about. Whenever I see that image, it's just I don't know, it just wakes me up and makes me want to, you know, just try more things because me seeing an image of somebody who looks like me holding the globe in his fingertips and taking a bite out of it, just be looking so powerful and, and, and just, you know, having no boundaries to the power they have, you know, that's what that image is basically, um, you know, you know, illustrating. And it's hopefully to inspire that we have power in us we have more power in us than what we see on TV or that we see in the media or the narrative that is kind of painted out for us all the time. So when I see that image, uh, I can care less about a stereotype. I can care less about what the mainstream narrative is of my people and, you know, people who look like me when I see that image. Cause when I see that image, I see, uh, I see the black man slash woman being powerful holding the world in their hands and just kind of having, having control 
having having more power or having more options than we usually you know are given the image to look because we I feel like a lot of times, especially in the media, we're kind of in a victimized state or we're made to look weak or inferior or dumb. So that image alone, just whenever I see it, the way that he's biting out of the earth like an apple and he looks so careless, just so at home, so comfortable. That was the main thing for that image, because when I when when I when young brown and black kids see that image, I want them to see themselves. I want them to see themselves having options having the world in their hands, you know, having power, having control, having, uh, having options. I'm real passionate about that image. I love that image. Even after I painted it and I was like, man, I got to do something with this image one day. And then once I had the book, it was a no brainer to make that the cover. Because um, just like I put in the book, the world is at your fingertips. I really believe that. <laughs> like, I really believe that I really do. You know, maybe, Maybe I might be a little crazy, but I literally believe that I have all the options as long as I have air in my body. I can do whatever that I think of. I can do whatever that my fingers can can do. And I'm gonna stand on that until I leave. <laughs> so, you know, that's what that's what that image means to me. And I just wanted I wanted kids that to feel that power that I felt when I was painting it. So um I think that was the biggest reason that I chose that as the cover. It's a wonderful image. It really is. And like I said, it reminds me of a painting or not a painting, a sketch that they found in a cave somewhere in West Africa. Six, this is about 6,000 years old. So, you know, it's like an old, old, old thought coming back in a new way, in a brand new 21st century way. So it really is a powerful image. So at this point, I am going to turn it back to Dr. Vaughn. Thank you so much, Mr. Wilson, for talking to us. It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. That was really good information. And it's always um, a pleasure to hear an artist, an author, give us a peek behind the curtain uh, in regards to what inspired what they put on paper, what they put on canvas. So thanks for uh, just personalizing that for us. I'm really appreciative also of how personal you got it to us in regards to the experience that you had with the layoff. Uh, that is a reality that tens of millions of people in this country and certainly more around the world experienced last year because of the global crisis. Uh, and for you to speak about how you overcame uh, the shock, the depression, and turned it into a positive is a message in and of itself. So one last thing that we want to make sure that we do before we wrap up this time is uh, remind us quickly again, where can we find Brown Money? How is it that people can follow you? Uh, what are your social media handles? All that good stuff. Okay, so you can find the book on Amazon.com. You can just search for it, type in Brown Money, uh, Warren Wilson, or you can go to warrenwilson.com. That's my author website uh, slash artist website. And I have links to the book on there um, as well. You can either get a copy from me or I can, I have a link on that I send you to Amazon. And I also do like wholesale packages for schools or, you know, organizations or things like that as well. And so you can also find me on Facebook. That's at Warren Wilson. That's W-A-R-N Wilson. And you can also find me on Instagram at Warren Wilson. Uh, and that's W-A-R-N Wilson. That's a family name. So a lot of people <laughs> like to spell it with two R's. But <laughs> but yeah, so those are pretty much the two social areas that I hang out on. I am on LinkedIn as well. You can find me at Warren Wilson Jr. on LinkedIn. Those are pretty much the, that's where you can find me hanging out on the internet if you ever wanted to reach out to me via social or you can shoot me an email at mail at warrenwilson.com. We got it all. And uh, once again, we really, really uh, have enjoyed having you uh, with us today. Uh, Mr. Warren Wilson Jr., thank you so much for uh, sharing with us a bit of your journey. And we look forward to even more to come, especially when that fourth book hits. We will be looking forward to learning about that. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to uh, Brandon Newby at this time to see us out. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. 
In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.